morning. Good to see you this morning. Glad that you're with us today. If you're a guest of ours, you're especially welcome. We have been talking for the last couple weeks about different conversations that Jesus has had with different groups of people. If you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about three different conversations that he had with some religious leaders, and they all had the same agenda. They were trying to trip Jesus up and trap him in his words. And then last week, we looked at a conversation Jesus had with a very different agenda. In fact, Jesus initiates the conversation with a Samaritan woman in John chapter 4, the woman at the well. Today we're going to look at another conversation that Jesus has. Again, a very different conversation. This time it's not with a bunch of religious leaders. and It's not with a broken sinner. This is a conversation that he has with his father. It's a prayer that Jesus prays. And we're going to listen in this morning on just what it is that Jesus asks of the father. And allow me to set it up with this. Several years ago, Mike Ditka was the coach at the Chicago Bears. And towards the end of his tenure, things went a little bit south, and, and the Bears decided to let him go. And in his press conference at his release, Mike Ditka made this statement. It's just like it says in the Bible, this too shall pass. Now, Mike Ditka was a really good football player. He was a pretty good football coach. He's a pretty crummy theologian. Because that's not in the Bible. Now, there's a lot of it came to passes in the Bible, and it sort of sounds biblical, doesn't it? But it's not in the Bible. And I don't have to tell you how many times people will say things that they are just sure it's in the Bible, but it's not really in the Bible. I've heard people tell me that, well, God helps those who help themselves. Well, God is in that statement, but that statement's not in the Bible. Even though it sounds biblical, doesn't it? And actually, that statement really goes against sort of one of the main themes of the Bible. God helps those who can't help themselves. It was Benjamin Franklin who said God helps those who help themselves, not God. There's a lot of things in Scripture that, that people think are in there, or that people think are in Scripture, but they're really not. You've heard people say, well, God will never give you more than you can handle. It's not in the Bible. It sounds biblical, but it's not in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 10 says, God will not allow you to be tempted above that which you can bear. But the Bible never says we won't be given more than we can bear. We're given more than we can bear all the time. Why would we need God if we could bear it ourselves? That's why we need God. Or God moves in mysterious ways. If you're old enough, you'll remember the song. But it's not in the Bible. And then there are other things that are almost in the Bible. There's other things that you hear quite often that are really close to being in the Bible. You've all heard, spare the rod, spoil the child. Well, you kids will be glad to know that's not in the Bible. But it almost is. Okay? Proverbs says, uh, the one who spares the rod hates his son. There's a subtle difference. By the way, that verse is talking about discipline. It's not talking about beating your children. Or how about this one? Pride goeth before a fall. That's got to be in the Bible, right? 
It's got the word goeth in it. (laughs) It's almost in the Bible, but not quite. Proverbs again says, pride goeth before, anybody? Destruction. You all knew that. Nobody yelled out before a fall. Thank you. Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And then we've all heard cleanliness is next to godliness. It's actually in the book of Second Hesitations. <laughs> and many of you now are going to spend the rest of this sermon thumbing through your index looking for Second Hesitations. It's right before First Hesitations. Here's the perfect. It's not in the Bible. Neither is cleanliness is next to godliness. Let me give you one more, and it's really where we're going this morning. Kind of sake, went through all that to set this up. Be in the world, but not of the world. That's in the Bible, isn't it? It's got to be in the Bible. Again, it's almost in the Bible. It's close. Jesus does have a lot to say about the world. And he has a lot to say about being in the world, but that's not exactly what he said. Open up to John chapter 17. I said we were going to listen into a conversation that Jesus has with the Heavenly Father. It's going to come out of the 17th chapter of John. And in that prayer, Jesus talks about the world and our place in it. And there's a subtle difference between what he says and what we think he said. But I think it's an important difference. John chapter 17, if you, if you know your Bible very well, you know it's, it's right before Jesus goes to the cross. He's, he's with his disciples and he prays a prayer and John records it for us. And we're going to jump in at verse 13 of John 17. This is Jesus praying to the Father. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I'm still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Now you might be thinking, well, that's Jesus saying, be in the world but not of the world. And on one level, I'll grant you it's close, but there is a difference. Because I've heard people take this statement and then go right to, well, what Jesus is saying is, we've got to separate ourselves from the world. We have to just stay away from the world. Avoid the world as much as possible. Yeah, we're stuck here for a while, but we just have to grit our teeth and bear it till we die or till Jesus comes back. We have to make the best. Now, Jesus does warn against worldliness, but He never tells us to stay out of the world. And really, just like God helps those who help themselves, sort of goes against one of the tenets of Scripture, the idea of us staying out of the world sort of goes against what Scripture talks about. Jesus' plan was never for his followers to crawl into a cave somewhere and just wait this thing out. Verse 15, look again. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world. My prayer isn't that you put them in some Christian commune. My prayer isn't that you would put them in a bubble where they don't have to interact with anybody else but other Christians. My prayer isn't that you insulate them from everything that's going on in the world. My prayer isn't that you take them out of the world, but that you... Protect them from the evil one. 
Okay, let's connect a couple dots. If I am in the world and I need protection from the evil one, where is the evil one in the world? What is the evil one doing in the world? Evil things. He's trying to hurt me. He's trying to destroy me. That's why we need protection. Jesus' prayer wasn't take them out of the world. Jesus' prayer was protect them from Satan. Why do we need protection from Satan? Well, listen to what Peter has to say. Peter was there, by the way, uh, when Jesus prayed this prayer. But later on, Peter would write this. Be careful. Watch out for attacks from the devil, your great enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for some victim to devour. Jesus said it. Peter agreed. Satan is real. Satan is evil. He's the great enemy. His goal, his agenda is to devour you. So how is God going to protect us? Because that was Jesus' prayer. Protect them from the evil one. How's he going to do that? Well, flip back to John chapter 17, Jesus' prayer. Because in the very next verse, very next breath, Jesus is going to say this. Verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. Sanctify them by your truth. Sanctify them. That's a Bible word, isn't it? There's a real good chance the people that you talk to this week, they'd have a hard time explaining to you what the word sanctify means. It's a pretty good chance the person sitting beside you right now might have a hard time explaining to you what the word sanctify means, but it's a really important word. And it's a really important concept. You might have a version that says, make them pure and holy. Make them holy. Make them immersed in love and joy and patience and gentleness and kindness and courage. Make them like they were created to be. Sanctify them. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Ironically, in just a few hours after Jesus prays this prayer, he's going to be standing before Pilate, and Pilate's going to kind of smirk and say, What is truth? Well, Jesus has already told us what is truth. God's Word is truth. And notice Jesus doesn't say your Word is true. And if you were in Ronnie McCullough's class on Wednesday night, he did a great job of fleshing this out. It's not just that God's Word is true or God's Word is factual. Jesus says your Word is truth. You know, I've talked to people before, I'm sure you have, that will say, well, give me Jesus, but don't talk about the Bible. I mean, I'm a spiritual person, I love Jesus, but I can't buy into all that Bible stuff. I don't really have time for the Bible stuff. That's not important to me. Just, just give me Jesus. But Jesus is saying, all that Bible stuff? You can't know me without knowing the Word because the Word is truth. Jesus says, that's what's going to sanctify you. That's what's going to make you holy. The Hebrew writer will say this, you know it, for the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates, even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Listen, if you're a guest of ours today and you're trying to figure out what are these people about, what's important to them, what's their deal, here's our deal. All that Bible stuff, we take it really seriously. 
Because we are convinced it's more than words on a page. We are convinced the Word of God is active, that it's alive, that it's sharper than, than any sharp sword. It penetrates, it divides, it judges. Sanctify them by the truth. Your Word is truth. In John chapter 17, Jesus is just pouring His heart out to the Father. He is intensely concerned about the people that are in that room with Him. But He's also intensely concerned about the people who aren't in that room with Him. He's concerned about the people who are outside of that room. The people who aren't His followers. He's extremely passionate about His mission. Look back at verse 18 of John 17. As you sent me into the world... I've sent them into the world. This is an amazing statement. It's a statement that changed those disciples' lives. It's a statement that should change your life as well. As you sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. Listen, Jesus didn't come to this earth, establish a church, and then give it a mission statement. He came with a mission and then gave that mission the church. There's a purpose behind our being. Jesus is really transparent on what His mission was. Let me just throw some verses at you. Matthew 5. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law. I came to fulfill the prophets. I came as the Messiah. And then a couple chapters later, Matthew 10. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Jesus says, I've come to stir things up. I'm not here to keep the status quo. I'm here to share something that is a matter of life and death, eternal life and death. Mark chapter 1, Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That's why I've come. I've come to share the good news of people, to introduce the kingdom, to introduce a way to reconcile Mankind back to the Father. It's part of His mission. John 12, I've come into the world as a light so that no one who believes in Me should stay in darkness. Jesus is saying, I've come to make things better. I've come to make things brighter. I've come to dispel all the darkness in the world. John chapter 6, For I have not come down from heaven, for I have come, for I have come down from heaven not to do My will, but to do the will of whom Him who sent me. And this is the will of Him who sent me, that I should lose none of all that He's given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. And I'll raise Him up at the last day. Jesus' mission was to do the will of the Father. What was the will of the Father? Anyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. John chapter 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they might have life and have it to the full. Jesus said, I've came to give you life, a full life, a meaningful life. My mission is to give you something you could never have apart from me. Luke 19, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. That was his mission. He's really clear about his mission. That's why God sent him. That's why He came, to preach good news, to share the message, to bring light to a dark world, to do the will of the Father, to seek and to save that was lost.
Jesus didn't come and pick out 12 men and say, okay, we've got to hunker down. We've got to play it safe. We've got to stay away from the world. We've got to stay away from all those terrible people. I don't think that was Jesus' message at all, and I'm thankful that that wasn't Jesus' message. I'm thankful it wasn't His message then. I'm thankful it's not His message now. Because I am thankful there are people who didn't and who haven't insulated themselves and stayed away from this terrible sinner. I'm thankful that somebody reached out to me. This why this statement in Jesus' prayer, just before He's crucified, that's why it's so powerful. This prayer that He allows His followers to listen in on. This prayer that, that we're allowed to listen in on. As you have sent me into the world, I've sent them into the world. Jesus is sending His disciples into the world the same way He was sent, with the same mission, the same passion, the same sense of importance, the same eternity-altering goal. Now, I think that's why we as humans, we, we long and we ache for something more. You women are having your retreat this coming weekend, meant for more. I think we're wired that way. I think we're wired in a way to, to want something bigger than ourselves, to be, want, to, want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Because we're called to be a part, and we're meant to be a part, and we're created to be a part of something that goes beyond ourselves. Jesus was sent into the world with a complete understanding of just how high the stakes are. Jesus, more than anyone, understood that eternal souls hang in the balance, riding on the success or the failure of His mission. And now He tells us that we, as strange as it seems, get to be a part of this cosmic mission. That in a small way, we get to join in. That we get to touch others' lives that we get a chance to, to introduce people to the life-changing reality of Jesus. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you. I think that's why we have this longing to be a part of something bigger and better. Jesus never says, try to avoid the world. You know, Have as little to do with the world as possible. Now, stay away from all those terrible people with their terrible language and their terrible habits. Now, before you stop me in the foyer right after this sermon, I do know Romans 12 too. Okay? You're not conforming longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We're not to allow the world to change us. We're not to conform to the world, but we are to introduce the world to Jesus and allow Him to change the world. To introduce people to Jesus, we've got to be where people are. And we've got to be mixed up in the lives of lost people. And that was always Jesus' focus. Since the very beginning of His public ministry, that was part of His focus. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount, one of the first things He said in the Sermon on the Mount, you're the salt of the earth. And He goes on to describe that a little bit. He says, you're the salt of the earth. It's not a question, it's a declaration. But you know, I know, salt doesn't exist for itself. No one says, um, I'm just going to have a bowl of salt for breakfast this morning. 
No, salt is there for the benefit of the food. Salt is enhancing the food. How close does salt have to get to the food before it's useful? A foot away? Close enough? An inch away? No, it's got to be mixed up in there. It's got to be in the food before the salt becomes useful. How close do we have to be to the world before we really become useful? In this building? When the world is out there? Is that close enough? No, we've got to be mixed up in people's lives. We've got to care enough about Jesus to care enough about lost people. To be in their lives. To be sharing in their lives. Because the church, we don't exist for ourselves either. Not just for ourselves. Now, I talk a lot about the blessings that are mine because I'm a part of this family. The encouragement, the forgiveness, the grace, the sense of belonging, and those are real and they are wonderful blessings. But we don't exist just for the sake of ourselves. We exist also as a church for the sake of the world to introduce people to Jesus. Now, I don't have to tell you that when we start talking about talking about Jesus, people get uncomfortable. When you start talking about being in people's lives, that gets a little uncomfortable. Hmm, not my gift. That's not exactly my comfort zone. I don't think I can do that. Listen, I know you can. I know you can tell people about Jesus. Because I know God wouldn't ask us to do something He hadn't equipped us to do. I also know you can tell people about Jesus because someone told you about Jesus. You didn't figure it out on your own. Someone cared enough about you to bring Jesus up in a conversation. And they might not have known every verse. They might not have known any verses. They might not have had every question answered. They might not have had it all figured out. Their life might have been a mess. But somebody loved Jesus enough to say, let me tell you my Jesus story. Let me tell you what Jesus did in my life. Let me tell you what Jesus is doing in my life. I know you can do this. I also know you can do this because you're not doing it by yourself. The Holy Spirit is working through you. Do you understand what I just said? The Holy Spirit of God is working through you. And trust me, God moves in mysterious ways, which is not in the Bible. But it is true. I just think we make it harder than it has to be. Now, the last thing Jesus said before He left this earth, He gave us our mission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you to the end of the age. Young salesperson was talking to his boss about the, the, the bad luck he had of missing out on a big sale and it didn't go the way he wanted. He was kind of lamenting, saying, well, it just proves the old adage, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And his boss said, your job is not to make him drink. Your job is to make him thirsty. And I think that goes for Christians as well. 
Our job is not to change anyone. Our job is not to save anyone. Our job is just to make people thirsty for Jesus. Our job is just to brag on Jesus. To make Jesus a part of our daily conversations. To be courageous and bold and thankful and gracious about the fact that God's Spirit is working through me, living in me. I don't have it all figured out. But I love God. And I love Jesus. And let me tell you His story about what He's done in my life. And then we're created, we're, we're told to do something. To go. To make disciples. To baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. To keep teaching everything that we've been commanded. That's the mission. As you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. We are a sent people. You are a sent person to go to the world to tell people your Jesus story. That is in the Bible. We are a sent people. This morning as a church family, we would love to help you in any way that we can. I don't know what's going on in your life. Maybe you need the prayers of people who love you. If we can pray with you about anything that's going on, maybe you want to share some good news with us this morning. That's what families do as well. We, we rejoice together as well. But as a church family, if we can help you in any way, there can be some people here at the front of the auditorium. You can come and meet us there. Let's go ahead and stand and sing.